Friends and listeners, so many of the questions that arrive in the Don't Ask Tig inbox boil down to one theme, finding the courage to be honest with others. Sometimes life puts you in a place where the only way forward is to tell someone how you really feel, even if it hurts. Whether you think about it like ripping off a Band-Aid or, as you'll hear in this episode, jumping off a roof, gathering the courage to tell someone the painful truth is one of life's most important skills. You're going to hear more about my thoughts on the matter later in this episode, but all this brings me to a question for you, dear listener. How do you mentally prepare yourself to say the things you need to say, but really, really don't want to? What's worked for you leading up to these difficult conversations? And what about when you're actually having the talk? What strategies have helped? Send in your thoughts to don'tasktig.org or call 833-275-8444. That's 833-ASK-TIG-4. And leave me a voicemail if I don't pick up. Now, on with the show. This is coming out in April of 2023. I will be... I don't know that it's coming out in April. Who said oh, April? You did. You said that. No, said... I said her name is April. Oh, sorry. <laughs> This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro, forever weary of your queries. My next guest is an actor and singer whose credits include TV shows The Good Fight and 13 Reasons Why and films like the Oscar-winning A Beautiful Mind and the iconic comedy Dazed and Confused. He originated the role of Mark Cohen in the Tony Award-winning rock opera Rent and reprised the role in the film Adaptation. He currently stars in Star Trek Discovery alongside yours truly, Anthony Rapp. Welcome to Don't Ask Tig. Thank you, Tig. Yes. Congratulations. You just welcomed your first child into the world a few months ago. How is fatherhood treating you? Well, I've discovered that the brain changes. Did you know this, Tig? I don't know if it's like the shape of it exactly or the, but certainly the biochemistry of it changes. And I have experienced that hardcore. And how has it changed? It's like a level of vigilance and a level of just like acute awareness mm -hmm. at all times in a way that I never have felt before. That's one of the changes. And then also I can be pretty focused on my work, but generally it's easy for me to get distracted. But, you know, if I don't have a task in front of me, mm -hmm. but that's just tenfold or a hundredfold more. Like if I'm in the middle of doing something and the baby does something, whatever I was doing before is gone. <laughs> From the little reading I've done, it turned out in some ways kind of a way to talk down to women, this thing called maternal instinct or mommy brain. These are terms that were thrown around for a long time as sort of like to explain away or talk down to women who sometimes would be understandably distracted at times when they have a newborn baby. And back in the day, men, fathers weren't necessarily as involved, right? Mm -hmm. But since there's been more shared responsibility, they've started to study that fathers who were deeply involved with being caretakers of their newborn children, the same sorts of things happen to their brains and systems and hormones and everything. It doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter if you're biologically related to the child. If you're a primary caretaker of a baby, you mm -hmm. change. Mm -hmm. And so... 
when you said from what little reading you've done, how did you prepare? My sister-in-law is really super organized and she gave us a book called Crib Sheet, which I don't know if you've heard about, but it's written by an economist. (laughs) So it's um, (laughs) this economist who like studied all this data of babies. And I read a lot of that book, certainly about like what to think about in the very, very early stages. Mm -hmm. I'm planning on reading more as he gets older because I don't want to like front load all that stuff. Because if if you're talking about things as a toddler, I'm not going to be remembering that maybe two years from now. So I, I was mostly focused on what to expect, like right after birth and what are the things to do in the hospital and what are the, you know, thinking about sleeping and eating mm-hmm. and pooping, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. Stephanie and I actually didn't read a book. We didn't take a class. We didn't do anything. Two weeks before the babies arrived, Stephanie walked past me while I was sitting on the couch and she said, do you know anything about um, <laughs> having a baby? And I said, no. And she's like, yeah, me neither. And almost seven years in, they seem pretty exceptional. But I do kind of wish I had read some things. Yeah, worked out. Worked out. Yeah, I mean, people have babies in the woods and <laughs> live in trees and or did years ago. You know, we, we survived. Yes. I'm not opposed to that. It's just not what we did. Just wing it. Just wing it. Yeah. Now, um, Anthony, on a more difficult topic, lately you've been in the headlines for your lawsuit against disgraced actor Kevin Spacey. I just want to say how much I admire you for the action that you've taken. Thank you. And uh, we've talked extensively about our feelings about these types of situations and people. And I was wondering if you wanted to talk at all about what your goals were with the process. Well, my goal, like it was a specific strange situation in a way because New York State did this law where they re-examined an old standing statute, which was they did away with the statute of limitations on sex crimes against minors for Mm -hmm. a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. In the wake of Me Too, they recognized that there were all sorts of things that happened years ago to people and there weren't the same you know, the, the, the way that we've talked about these things has changed. And so the legislature in New York state said, we want to make it possible for people to bring actions against those people now. Mm-hmm. So that was brought to my attention. It's like, well, I at least want to try and see what could happen so that there's a public reckoning or hearing about it. Yeah. I came to learn that, oh, it's called a revival statute. That's what it's called. That there's all sorts of problems with revival statutes because there's any number of other laws that kind of compete with their efficacy because what you can bring into the courtroom in terms of evidence, all those evidentiary rules, this little revival statute doesn't take those things into account. Mm -hmm. So it made it very difficult to kind of, there were so many things that we were limited to talk about. So it made it very difficult to have a really balanced, fair trial, I guess you could say. Um, So my goal was simply to pursue that, see what would happen. It was really hard. And at the same time, it was also very cathartic to have a public opportunity to do that. I wasn't looking for a particular outcome. And in terms of like money damages, when you sue someone, mm-hmm. it's unlikely you would ever see a penny anyway. Yeah. That wasn't the goal. It was to have right. a public hearing. So it was a, it was a very, very difficult, challenging thing. And at the same time, I'm, I don't know if I'm glad I did it, but I, I feel like it was important to do. Yeah. 
people listening might not know this, but you're the person that started the conversation around Kevin Spacey in a very public way. That's true, yes. And changed everything about what people knew of him, even if there were whispers or secrets. or And that's the other thing that oftentimes there is talk about how there are well-known secrets or well-kept secrets in Hollywood. And people assume that because you work in this industry that you are in on all of the secrets about right. every person and that if you know them or you worked with them, then you know what they've done. Right. It's a little crazy making because, first of all, I never met Kevin Spacey, but I had never heard anything. This was news to me when this broke. <laughs> I yeah. didn't know about Louis C.K. I didn't know about yeah. Kevin Spacey. I did, there's so many people that I just, it just didn't come up. I just didn't hear yeah. about it. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, I, I can totally believe, for instance, that Meryl Streep was not privy to Harvey Weinstein's behavior because people would protect her from that. Yeah, right. And I had heard that he was, like, a bully and a mean mm -hmm. guy, but I had never heard about the sexual stuff, you know, right. and I, I knew somebody who worked at his company. Right. But he didn't harass him sexually, Ex you know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. After the Bill Cosby stuff came forward, I had a couple of friends share with me their personal experiences with yeah. Bill Cosby. But right. that's not something that I was at all aware of before that came forward. Although I do know in certain circles that people know these things, you know. Absolutely. But I, it, it's just the idea that if you work in this industry, you know about all of these secrets or all of these bad behaviors. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I just want to say that you and I have both spoken so publicly and yes. shared how we feel and have made very uncomfortable strides in trying to right others' wrongs. Yes, we I have. guess. Yes. Um, and it sometimes does feel a little like lonely out there and like a little bit of a, you know, it's very knife's lonely. edge branch of a like a dead dying tree that we're out there. Hey. Yeah. You know. And then, and then the horrible misunderstanding that people think you're doing it to further your career, that yeah. you're doing it for money or exposure or yeah. power. And it's like the reality. <laughs> I mean, if you really think about going up against these people that have so much power and money. Yeah. And support. This is not the route you go <laughs> no. to get power or money. This I is know. the opposite. Yep. There's any number of people who have shared with me things privately that have never spoken about them publicly. Same. Which I understand. I understand. You know, I get it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> same, same, same. Whee! We All right, Anthony, as you know, this is an advice show and it's time to dole out some advice. So uh, are you ready, sir? I'm ready. This first question concerns coworker communication. Karina writes, hi, Tig, I'm a big fan, so I'm hoping you can help me out. I'm a teacher with a lunchtime dilemma. You see, as teachers, we look forward to our break in the day to visit but some new people have joined and we don't want them there. <gasps> Their <laughs> comments make everyone uncomfortable and we want it to be a relaxing time, not a time where we need to be on guard. How do we get them to leave? 
they just showed up to the classroom we eat in, so we can't really go anywhere else. And if we did, I think they'd follow us. Help! I'm almost 50 and still struggling with who I sit with at lunch. Whoa! Karina. Um, first of all, how many people are they that are making these terrible comments? She doesn't specify, right? No, we don't. I mean, let's say whether it's one or 50, <laughs> why would the number be? Like on our set, right? Mm-hmm. If we're yeah. hanging out at lunch and it's like yeah. four of us and then like two people come by, it's a yeah. little different than if it's six people. I don't know. The, so the number changes the dynamic a little bit, but it's not, I guess it's not that. But if they're deal, all but... saying things that make you uncomfortable... Well, I think on our set, it's pretty clear, like, we would speak up. So that's mm-hmm. my workplace, right? Mm-hmm. That we would say, I'm sorry, that's not okay for you to say that. Yeah. That's the hard thing to do is, like, create a confrontation and maybe right. an escalation. That's the danger of it. But what else can you do? It does feel like sometimes the only answer is you have to have an uncomfortable conversation. I also like to always emphasize the importance. It's all in the delivery. Because sometimes if you preface things like, hey, you know, I don't, I I don't even know. (laughs) I don't even know. But whatever the rambling before is, can be reeled in. And if you can be more direct, we're just wanting our lunchtime to be a peaceful, relaxing time and just want to make sure everybody's on the same page about that. Because maybe if they changed the topics that they were talking about. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like, you know, (laughs) this is a gay group of people and there's homophobic people come in. You know, it's, ah, what do they do? Please, can we make this a zone where we don't talk about X, Y, or Z things? I don't know. Uh I'm not saying it's easy. Like you said, it's an uncomfortable conversation. Yeah, it sounds like you're probably stuck with the fact that other people are going to be or have joined you. And so maybe somebody needs to take the reins and say, because our group is growing, maybe it would be good to address where we will and won't go in our conversations to make everyone comfortable, you know, during their break. Tig, that's very sound advice. Okay, well, don't ask Tig. (laughs) Um, Karina, uh, you can always sit with me and Anthony at lunch, right, Anthony? Absolutely. Okay. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around and we'll answer some more questions. And we're back. Anthony, this question was sent in by a listener named Shruti. Shruti writes, Hey, Tig, I like my apartment super clean, and I have a new roommate of two months who I discovered is kind of messy. When I point out food and dirty dishes she's left lying around the kitchen in the past, she doesn't seem to take it seriously. As a bit of a neat freak yourself, how would you handle this situation? (laughs) <laughs> Anthony, are you are you a neat freak? I'm not a neat freak. I'm not a slob, but I'm certainly not okay. a neat freak by any means. No, I can't say I'm a neat freak. I like things tidy 
And then I can have germaphobe issues with some stuff. Yeah. But having kids really pushed me through some uncomfortable issues that I was having. Like wiping up their poop? No, it's not so much that. I remember I would see babies crawling around on floors and I would think, how will I ever (laughs) be affectionate with my children after they've been crawling around, dragging their knees and hands and little bellies on the floor? I was like, "I, I don't even know what I'll do with that. And then my babies, two of them, were crawling around on our floors And I would pick them up with no thought and hug and kiss them. Yes. (laughs) It was truly something where I was like, I really don't know what I'm going to do about this. Yes. But Shruti is still in a situation that we have not (sighs) fixed. I I mean, we can divert all we want, but Shruti still sits in uh, a mess. It's another one of those uncomfortable conversation situations, uncomfortable moments, like, to say, Shruti, if you can say to that roommate, I know this might be hard for you to understand, but it's really important to me that when you eat, that you you clean your dishes after you eat. It's just, it's something that makes me really uncomfortable to see dirty dishes in the sink. Is that something that you can take seriously? Are you willing to do that? You know, mm-hmm. and really give your roommate the chance to like step up her game. Yeah. It kind of always boils down to you have to have uncomfortable conversations. I don't know if I've talked about this on this podcast or not, but it's something that has helped me. When I was a kid, I was at my friend John's house and we were hanging out. We were listening to records. And then he said, oh, dude, my mom's home. I'm grounded. You got to jump out of my window. And I was on the second floor and I was like, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, dude, I'm going to be in more trouble if you don't jump out of my window. And I was like, oh, my God. And so, of course, I didn't, you know, I feel like I was a better friend than John was because I'm sitting there thinking, well, I don't want to screw John over. And meanwhile, he doesn't care if I break my neck. And um I crawl out on the roof and I'm looking down at cement and I'm just like, okay, well, here I go. And I couldn't get myself to go. And he was, he was like, dude, jump. She's, she's coming in the kitchen now. She's jump. And I was like, uh, and then I just, I jumped. And sometimes when I have to have hard conversations, I picture myself on John's roof And when I go off the roof, the words come out of my mouth because I'm just like, I just have to do it. There's nothing that is going to be easy about this or comfortable, and I just have to say it. And then I jump off of John's roof. Wow. I mean, because that's coming at it both ways because if you'd had the uncomfortable conversation, you wouldn't have had to jump off the roof. Yeah. But then jumping off the roof tells you that you can do things that, that are not easy to do. Yes, but also don't jump off of a roof. Don't jump off anybody. Roofs. So yeah, Shruti, um, jump off of that roof, but don't jump off of a roof. You know what I'm saying? From one neat freak to another. Thanks for writing in, Anthony. Our next listener needs a favor in the form of advice about party favors. Mm. Andrea writes, "Hey Tig and helpful guest." 
That's you, Anthony. We're throwing a small birthday gathering for our soon-to-be five-year-old and would love some creative ideas to go in the goodie bag for guests. Mm. Oh, that's what that's the whole thing? That's the whole yeah. statement? Yeah. Okay, that's... so first of all, I would implore you, Andrea, to think of sustainable party favors. Mm-hmm. So things made from, I don't know, bamboo. There's a lot of products. Maybe a pine cone. Sure. Put that, a pine cone sure, in each sure. bag. <laughs> Put it, make sure there are a lot of bugs crawling around in it, too. Yeah, That's the best and that part. they're very pointy. So, yeah, like, I don't know. That that would be my first thing. I just know that there's a lot of products made of bamboo these days, and bamboo is super renewable. It's a grass, not a tree. Mm-hmm. And there's nice textile things. There's toys that are made from bamboo. There's any number of things. That's one little idea that comes in my head. Um, and maybe, like, something really fun and good to eat for the kids, that you know about that. That's where I would step in and say, uh, how about consider vegan things? We actually didn't do goodie bags. Whenever Max and Finn go to a party, they seem to always leave with goodie bags. And um, I don't know. Is it terrible for me to say you don't need to do goodie bags? No. I know kids love goodie bags, but we just... But, we just, you know, but don't... Isn't it more sometimes for the parents... You know what I mean? Like some of the stuff is like to impress the parents. I guess I do think kids love a goodie bag. (laughs) You know, they do love a goodie bag. I'm not impressed when there's a goodie bag. I'm not like, whoa, this is incredible stuff these people have done. I'm kind of more like, oh, my God, a goodie bag. What about a sustainably made bag that's reusable that the kid that could be a fun bag for the kid to have to cart around their little toys or something like that? And inside of that is something fun and cool. A pine cone. A pine cone. Andrea, I don't know. We're doing a terrible job. I would say. A pine cone. Pine cone. Andrea, ditch the goodie bag. Mm. I'm going to go ahead and be bold about it. Just does it have to be a bag? Maybe it's like a little parting gift, you know, rather than a bag of stuff. Just how about a little uh, frame a picture of yourself, Andrea. (laughs) Give everyone my album. That's what it is. Oh, boy. Yes. Go to my website. Buy my album. Oh, boy. (laughs) And everyone. We've gone there. (laughs) We've gone to that place. How about a framed picture of Anthony Rapp? Absolutely. Or, you know what? If there's, um, oh, this is it. I've come to it. If there's inspiring, cool people, give each kid that leaves a little tiny framed picture of an inspiring, cool person that's done something great in history or her story or them story. Okay, Anthony? Yes, I'm for that. Okay. Andrea, happy birthday to your son. Anthony, our last question is all about coming out. Ooh. April in Portland writes, how do I tell my family that I'm gay? I'm a 59-year-old woman. I've identified as straight my whole life. Things changed in the last couple years. I've been married and divorced three times. Gee, how could that have happened? I'm in a serious relationship now, and it's time my family knows. The irony is my sister's name is gay. Do I open with... (laughs) That's not ironic. (laughs) Do I open with G after all these years? Turns out you're not gay. I am. Well, first of all, I'd like to make an adjustment there, um, April, and say 
G, after all these years, turns out we're both gay. There you go. Yeah. That's a good one. How about that? I like that. Yeah. Rather than you're not gay, because who knows, maybe gay is gay and gay doesn't feel comfortable saying gay is gay because gay is gay. True. You know what I'm saying? That could be true. So leave the door open for everyone and say, after all these years, turns out we're both gay. (laughs) Yes. I do think it is helpful sometimes to go in with some comedic icebreaker. I'm surprised to hear you say that, Tig. That doesn't sound like you at all. I know. It's a stretch. But I'm also somebody that I think that there's a time and place for comedy. I don't think it's always necessary. I really appreciate earnest moments and authenticity. And if you feel that it needs that, then certainly have that sort of delivery when you're speaking with your family. But if your gut is telling you that a humorous icebreaker would be helpful, then by all means, I do think that is a good one to say, turns out we're both gay. Absolutely. And I think in this case too, especially like a late in life coming out, I think as much as anything, it's about sharing the relationship. Mm -hmm. It's not just about the label of being Mm -hmm. gay. It's about like, at this point in my life, I've found someone mm-hmm. and it turns out X, Y, or Z, but it's like as much as, as much as anything, it's about this major fact mm-hmm. of her life is that she's with someone of the same sex now. Yes. I agree because I think that it is a much easier conversation. I mean, obviously I don't know you, but like Anthony's saying, it's the important part is that you did find somebody And it isn't necessary right out of the gate, unless you feel it is, to to dive so deeply into how you're identifying as much as it's important to to share this person that you found. And so I'm just echoing what Anthony's saying. Um, I think there's probably a chance that the conversation will go a little easier than you might think. Yeah. I do wish you all of the best, all the support in the world to you. I do like your line that I did tweak a little bit to perfection. (laughs) Um, So best of luck. And yeah, I don't know. There's a certain poetry to you being your sister, gay's gay sister. Absolutely. Anthony, our last segment is called Come Back to Me Later. Oh, boy. Everyone wishes they had the perfect response at the ready for certain social interactions. Come Back to Me Later is the segment where we make that wish come true. Alex writes, Dear Tig, I'm a 43-year-old woman. I'm happily single and live with three cats. If I lived with three dogs, no one would bat an eyelid. But because I'm a single chick with cats, I get a lot of from people. I hate it when people call me a crazy cat lady. I'm a pretty normal person and don't walk around in cat t-shirts or wearing novelty cat earrings. Usually I laugh it off, but really I want to tell them to go F themselves. How should I best respond? P.S. One of my cats is called Tig. She's a blue Burmese and she's very funny. First of all, what's wrong with wearing cat t-shirts and I I know. I was going to say you are talking to the two worst people Anthony and I are cat 
crazy. We are both crazy cat ladies. And I would say we would both take that title with pride. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I would beg of you to do the same, Alex. (laughs) I mean, you got to let go of the heaviness around being a crazy cat lady. I mean, how do you feel, Anthony? I know we're supposed to get a comeback response, but deep down, my feeling is to have a more lighthearted <laughs> reaction and treat yourself to a, a cozy kitty shirt. Absolutely. I feel like Anthony could mail yes. you one today. Yes. <laughs> yes. All Anthony and I do on the set of Star Trek is talk about horrible sexual predators <laughs> and beautiful precious kitties. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. And now that you have a son, it'll be babies and, and sons. But, <sighs> Alex. Have one of those, like, cat masks handy in your purse when somebody says, just pull it out and put <laughs> it on and say, hey, <laughs> hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite crazy cat lady sweaters was, I'm sure you've seen this, the front of the sweatshirt is three or four kitties walking towards you. You just see the front legs and the faces of the cat. And then the back of the sweatshirt is the back of the cats with their tails straight up and you see their... Their buttholes. That's right. We can say that I on would your podcast, wear that. right? Yes. I would wear that. <laughs> yes. I, Alex, I would wear that with pride. Absolutely. If I was in a crowd, I'd have my elbows out and I'd say, crazy cat lady coming through. <laughs> Absolutely. You have asked the two worst people. (laughs) Embrace it. Cuddle up to it. I'm with Anthony. Have your mask, put it on your face and say, you called? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I have nothing to say to you, Alex. (laughs) That was something to say. I know, but I'm just not on Alex's side. (laughs) I feel terrible. Hey, Alex, you're crazy cat lady. And then mask goes on. You betcha. (laughs) Good day to you. Yes. That's it, right? Yep. Yeah. All right, Anthony, that's the end of the show. Thank you so much for helping (laughs) me help my listeners. Do you have anything you'd like to promote? Through at least April, maybe longer, I'll be doing my one-man show in New York off-Broadway at New World Stages called Without You, which is based on my book that I wrote about being a part of the original cast of Rent. And during that experience, my mom also lost her battle with cancer. So I know that these are kinds of themes that you can certainly identify with, Tig. Yes. Talking about and sharing these kinds of experiences. So, in fact, your work that you've done in this space has been incredibly inspiring to me as I think about the ways to approach doing this kind of storytelling. Well, thank you. You're welcome. I get to sing in my show. You don't sing in your show. That's the only difference. Mm, I shouldn't sing anywhere. Well, I don't know about that. I do. Yes, go check out Anthony's show. You're a real talent, my friend. Thank you. You are too. How about that? Uh, Well, I don't know about that, but I, I have things I do well and I have things I don't do so well. Thanks for taking the time to do this show, and I will look forward to seeing you soon. Same. My pleasure. Bye. Bye.
Don't Ask Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette and Shayna Deloria. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Alex Simpson. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Our theme music is Friend in Tig by Edie Burkell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Burkell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavadi, Alex Schaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana, and I'll tell Becky. I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, (laughs) we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool.